Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Good to be with you uh, this morning. I uh, just want to express appreciation for Pastor Dan, Chuck, all the whole staff here at uh, Summit Church. This is a good church. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we, I feel like I can say that. Here. We didn't have to shop for a church, I hate to say that, but we people moving, we moved here and our daughters and their families come and serve here, and so we didn't have to. But I've been an itinerant preacher for 31 years. I've probably been in more churches than all of you put together. <laughs> so I feel qualified to say this. This is a good church. <laughs> I've been in some, we'll move right along. How you know it's a tendency of ours to take for granted God's blessings? Say amen. amen. Don't do that with this. Not with this. Pastor Dan has proven. By that I mean he's weathered the storms. Can you imagine 30 years? You, you're going to go hard-pressed to find a man who's stuck with a body of believers feeling God's call on his life to preach and teach and example He's weathered the storms. Man, I'm telling you, coming and sitting under his ministry, what a blessing. I've been made better because of his, his faithfulness to God. And I am so excited about preaching. I hesitate to share this, but just last week, I, I study. I, st- I, I was a preacher, itinerant preacher for 31 years. I've tried pastoring for Four, so 35 years of full-time ministry. We retired November of 2019 and have been attending here. And <clears throat> last week, I still study my Bible. I, I, and I, I study so, so many times a sermon, a message will come. God will reveal something to me. And I actually prayed this week, oh, God, give me a place to preach. I didn't pray for him to be sick, okay? I don't, don't. <laughs> what an answer, though. Boy, I didn't, I hesitate, I don't misinterpret that at all. And there's so many qualified here to preach. If Chuck hadn't been wore out from yesterday's, you'd be up here. If you, if you could have had that, and you didn't, the short notice, you could have done her, and a number of others could. But Dan was moved by the Spirit of God. No, I don't, give old Tom a chance again. Okay, here we go, I'm wasting time. Our text, yeah, I don't know if you have your text, this, this message, the message I wanted to preach was not the one God wanted me to preach. It's a brand new one. I thought I'll try it out on you folks, but God said, no, you won't. So this is an old sermon from the archives, okay, part of my journey of faith that fits. And that's what the Lord said, you want this to fit with what's going on in that walk it out? How have you have enjoyed this series, by the way? How have you have needed this series, okay? It's not been anything new. We just need to hear it again. Would you agree with that? Read your Bible, pray fast. Think about it. just the Christian life. It's the stuff we already know. Paul 
No, Peter said, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and are already established in the present truth. He said, You already know this. Hear it again. How many of you have read your Bible, then read it again and get something you didn't get the first time? It's the same thing with coming to church. Okay. So this is the message I believe God would have me preach. I'm so, I feel wound up. How many of you can tell that? I got the shakes I want to preach this message. It's so bad. Whew. Okay. Our text is what the Lord led me to. is <clears throat> Philippians 3, 10 through 14. Let me give it to you. My life's verse is verse 10. I don't know if you put this up or not. I, I'm bad about notes and stuff. And don't even try to take notes on me, okay? I ricochet off of one disjointed thought to the next and <clears throat> write down a scripture if you get it, okay? Here it is. My life's verse is Philippians 3, 10, that I may know him. I want to know God. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. This is Paul, right in the church at Philippi. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that of which I'm also apprehended of in Christ Jesus. In other words, if Jesus has done this for me, then I want to do this to him. How many of you followed that? If Jesus loved us enough to save us, would you agree with that? He apprehended me. How many of you know you and I were on our way to hell when he apprehended us? Say amen now. He didn't find us primrose on our way to heaven. He found us on our way to hell. And he embraced us. Now, in response to what he has done for me, God, I want to apprehend you. I want to know you. That's what he's saying. Now, brethren... I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing, now that's the title of the message. Choose one thing and do it. Just choose one thing and do it. This one thing I do. Forgetting that which is behind. How many of you know you can't do yesterday over? How many of you know if you could do yesterday over, we'd make a few different decisions? Say amen now. But there's no doing overs. You did it. That's part of the journey. That's part of who you are. And then he says, reaching forth unto those things which are before. How many of you know you can't live tomorrow till you get there? What do we have? We're stuck with today. What are we going to do with our todays? Choose one thing and do it. Because we are becoming who we are. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes. That which hath been is now. How many of you know part of our past makes up of who we are today? Good and bad both. Would you agree with that? And he says, that which hath been is now, and that which is to be, future tense, hath already been. It's already been. In other words, who I am today will contribute to who I'm going to become or be tomorrow. That's what he's saying. This is to the believer, who do you want to be? How many of you would like to be a better Christian this time next year than you are right now? Let me see your hands. Every one of us would. If you know the Lord, I want to know him more. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to put off some junk and put on some stuff that's good. That's, that's the doing, the walking it out kind of stuff. This one thing I do, <clears throat> forgetting those things behind and reaching forth on those things before, I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This, this message has to do with setting goals in your life. This is still January. How do you know this, is all, this month is almost over? How have you missed 2022? I didn't even... Make, how do you know times going, life's going by in a blur? So it's still in the first month of this new year, and I would say to you, it's a good time to set a goal. If you shoot at nothing, you'll hit it every year. <laughs> do you have a goal? Who do you want to be more of 
at the end of this year than you are right now. What do you want? What's some things in your life you'd like in that are not there that you'd like to bring in, and some things that are in your life you'd like to get out? See, in Psalms. 139, 23 and 24 says this. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way that lasts forever. The stuff that you can store up for eternity. Everlasting stuff. How do you know the stuff here, it don't last. But you can lay it up in heaven. Those kind. So he says, what's in me that needs to be out? Just pray that simple prayer. And what's not in me that needs to be in? Um, I don't know why I wrote these notes out this morning. I probably won't pay attention to them. Um, how about this one? Second Peter 1, about verse 4, says this. Oh, help me with it. By which are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these, the promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature, the new man. Having escaped the corruptions in the world by lust. And besides this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith. What do you want to add to your faith this year? It gives a list of about seven things that you can choose from. You say, I don't know what I want to add to my faith. Well, just take a look at the scripture and see. These might be good things that you want to add to your faith. The first one is virtue, character. I think it should be a yearly part of every Christian's goal to become more like the character of Christ and less like the character of my other father, the devil. I, I want his character, so I study Christ and see love, kindness, forgiveness, mercy, justice, righteousness. And I look at those kind of things, that virtue, that moral purity, those kinds of things. I want to add those things to my life, and there's some things in my life that I want out because there's not room for both of them. How many of you know truth and, lies, truth and lies just don't live together well? One of them's got to stop, and the other's got to start. These kinds of things that characterize Christ. Now, I already, I don't want to pass this. I got this, I wrote this down. Your pastors, Chuck, when you started this series, you came out of the chute, guns a-blazing. What I'm going to be preaching to you is not the basis of your salvation. It's an evidence of your salvation because salvation is a gift. Good place for an amen. amen. You, you got to understand this. Salvation, eternal life, Born again, redeemed, forgiven, ransomed, all those words that describe what happens at the moment. The lights come on, and by faith, by grace through faith, you embrace the truth of what Jesus has done, what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, and you receive him as your Savior. Let me give you a verse. There, there are so many of this. Paul drum rides that, Peter drum, James, John, they all drum roll this truth, that salvation is a gift. Paul said this in Romans chapter 4. Chapter, I'll just take off of this chapter. I want to give you a verse before I get to that. Let me see if I wrote it down. Ha, I did. Sorry. <laughs> Romans 3, 24. Listen to this verse. The first one said, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. The next one says, being justified freely by his grace. The word freely means without cost to the recipient. We do not pay for our salvation by our works. Amen, Tom, good preaching. Why, thank you. Come on, help me with this, would you please? You can amen those kinds of truths because you agree with them. I know you do. You've been hearing this. This is what this church, this is the foundation upon which the church and this church is built upon. Christ Jesus the Lord. He's the Savior. I'm not. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. The propitiation means he became a wrath absorber, the one who took upon himself all of my sin, all of my guilt, all my stuff at the cross, and he justified me, made him like the sinless Savior through faith in Jesus Christ. What he's doing at this moment, he was buried, rose again the third day, ascended up into heaven, and he's coming back. That's the gospel. And that's what I put my hope on. Hallelujah. And they always stress this, that when we start talking about works, that you understand that works are not the means of my salvation. They're, they're just not. I want to say this as clear as I can. Faith is an, excuse me, works are an evidence of my salvation, not the basis. You know what basis is? What I'm standing on. This is the fo other foundation, other basis. Can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. We build upon that, but that's where we start. If you start this building from the roof down, it won't happen. If I put it on the roof, it's a beautiful roof, lights on it. You've got to have this, and the foundation is Christ and him alone. I'm going to give you this. Abraham is called the father of faith, the father of us all. Next month on my YouTube channel, I'm going to do a series on Israel, and everything in the Christian life is, in fact, inseparably related to Israel. God, Abraham, he's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. God makes a promise. He said, you leave where you're at and go to the place I want you to go that I'll show you. And he went not knowing where he went, so, I mean, this is an act of faith. He just believed God. By faith, Abraham, what should we say then that Abraham, our father, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has nothing of which to glory. You see, he has something of which to glory, but not before God. What saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God. How do you know he believed him? He left. He left all the securities of the things that he had here, and he just left. He didn't even know where he was going. What a beautiful picture of people that get saved. You don't have a clue where you're going. You just know you're leaving where you were. Come on. I've been trusting me, and it ain't, it ain't been producing. I'm leaving. Oh, it's up there on the screen. Ah. Now, I want you to see this because it's just too cool. What saith the scriptures? Verse 3, for if Abraham would justify, this excuse me, Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. God owes me, look what I've done. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, to him his faith is counted for righteousness. And then he uses David and says, David understood this too. Even as David also described the blessings of the man in whom the Lord imputeth righteousness apart from works, saying, blessed is he whose sins are forgiven, whose sins will not be imputed to him again. That's what he's saying. Now he says, I want to go and jump back to Abraham. And he says this in verse 9. Cometh this blessedness of salvation, of redemption, of made righteous by faith, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision, meaning Jews only, or upon the uncircumcision, Ta -da, the Gentiles. Also, for we say that faith was reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. He got righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? When he was in circ... And he answers it real quickly. He says, not, this is Paul a Jew, and says, not in circumcision... Good night. Do you know that he was made righteous 25 years before he circumcised himself and Ishmael and his son Isaac? Those were signs of the covenant that God made with him. They were not the basis. They were the evidences of. You see, it's the moment we leave. I almost want to get saved again. <laughs> now, I believe once you get the foundation, you don't, that don't happen again. I just start building on that. The blessedness comes 
What did the old song, Amazing Grace? The hour I first believed. That's grace. Now, all this stuff that you're hearing from Pastor Dan and Chuck and the, the ministry here, let's get after If that's true, there's no way I can stay the same. I've got to get after this thing called the Christian life, called Christ. I want to know him better now. Choose one thing and do it. Okay, put off some stuff, put on some stuff. Now I'm in the order of my notes. <clears throat> Brief testimony. I don't know when I got saved. Freaks some people out, I just don't know. I grew up in the church. I prayed to receive Christ so many times <laughs> as a child. I think I probably got saved around 10. I don't know. But I never had assurance of my salvation for a long time. <clears throat> Just listen to this verse. I think it's 2 Thessalonians 1, 5. It's on this page, outside column, down about here. <laughs> Just listen to this. Paul said, for our gospel, he's right to the church in Thessalonica, a totally Gentile church. And this is what he said. For our gospel came not unto us in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. i got to go back to the other part. I, I will get to the message eventually. When you hear a sermon like I'm going to preach on works, the temptation is to say, he's a works salvation guy. You've got to earn your way to heaven. You're missing it. <laughs> I want to make it clear. There is a group called the Works Bunch, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, about verse 21. Many shall come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done? That's the works bunch. They're the bunch in that book in Revelation. When they open up the, work, the works book, they're in that one. And people who probably live better lives than you and I may live, their hope of eternal life is, in fact, what we have done. We've preached in your name. We've been missionaries. We've been pastors. We've done all these things. If that was your hope of heaven, <laughs> that was crude, but I hope some of you got it. That will not suffice. Are you willing to step right today from where you're at in your mess be willing to step into the presence of a holy God with no other claim for eternal life and heaven than what he has done for you, the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you are, then let's get after this thing called the Christian life. If that's true, that's, your ba that's my basis. Now let's build, upon, let's build upon that foundation. That's what these messages are about. <clears throat> I don't know when I got saved. September 8, 1978, my wife conned me into going to one of these meetings. <laughs> she never went to church in her life. Folks had a little baptism in them when she was an infant, good to go. And they were good people. They were better than the church people I went with. <laughs> good, honest, hardworking, moral. They were married for 72 years. I mean, these are good people. It was so hard for them to see themselves as not good enough to make it to heaven. Because heaven's not for those who hope they're good enough. It's for those who know they're not. The ones who know they're not need a Savior. See, they were in their 70s when they finally got it. Now, 
September 8, 1978, in the quietness of my pew, my chair. There's 600 people in the room. It's big enough to hide. I grew up knowing the language, didn't know the Lord. I was a mess. I mean, I had more problems in my life. And I never knew if I was saved or not. I had zero assurance. I based it upon, you know, I've been doing pretty good. Maybe I am a Christian. Next day, the bottom fall out. <laughs> There's no way I can be a Christian. Look at how I live. As long as, see, a person that doesn't have that much assurance is because they're asking themselves the questions if they don't understand the basis of their salvation. Have I done enough? If you understand the gospel, you will ask the question, could I do enough? Because if I could, who needs Jesus? Why did you send the Son? I can do this. I can't do this. I've come to that. I can't do this. The guy's up there preaching on the Holy Spirit. While he's preaching, God says, Tom, when are you going to commit your life to me? And I said to him, don't work. I'm not talking out loud. Spirit to spirit. His spirit bears with your spirit. You know when God speaks to you at times. Sometimes you know. This is God speaking to me, I thought. I said, don't work for me. He just ignored my excuse, said, when are you going to commit yourself to me? I said, okay, about that much faith. How are you glad you don't have to have that much faith? Would you agree with that? Your faith can grow exceedingly, but you only have to have a mustard seed and it'll do. And so you put, you put that mustard seed into Jesus, hang on. Okay, so I'm sitting there. <clears throat> and I said, okay, I'll commit myself to you. The second I said, I'll commit myself to you, he said, okay, we're going to go to work on your filthy mouth. Hmm. I was a state trooper at that time, cussed like a trooper. They got that from me, okay? <laughs> My wife's never sworn in her life. She doesn't relate to this particular thing. No more than nothing. She never swore. I've, I've lived with her 53 years. I've never heard her swear. I'm sure she must have felt like it a few times living with me, but she never has. So, and I remember saying back to God, you set me free from a filthy mouth, I'll serve you. I'll serve you. Because I knew nobody could. I couldn't, and if I can't, God, you can't help me. I went one week without, I, I, I went home, my wife didn't know. I never filled out a card, walked in the aisle, prayed a prayer, nobody knew. And I wasn't real sure myself what God was doing. We got home and I said, Joyce, I said, I'm going to try to quit swearing. Would you pray for me? And she said, yeah. And I went to work. I worked seven days, I was a seven day trick, and I worked seven days, and I came up at the end of the seven days. By the way, I was unusually quiet that week. You take away 50% of your vocabulary, you just ain't got much to say. <laughs> but see, some of you cannot relate to this, okay? And I can't relate to some of her sins. I, I told her, I'll trade you mine for yours any day. I'll, yours are peanuts. How you know whatever sin you're dealing with is a mountain? Would you agree with that? Whatever it is. So, <clears throat> so I, uh, I came up at the end of that week, and she never nagged. My wife has never nagged me. I thank God for a wife just don't nag me. And she said, and she was praying for me. She knew I was a mess. And she's a new believer. She's the one going to church and taking the kids to church. It wasn't me. I worked three days. Three Sundays a month, I had excuses. I was, we worked a swing shift. I had excuses. And I didn't want to go to church because I was always miserable in church because I knew what he was saying. He was speaking to me, and I didn't want to hear it. If any of you ever been there, you let me take this all alone. Uh, I'm on the run. You want to be miserable? Get on a boat, pay the fare, and go the opposite direction God wants you to go. And he'll rock the boat because I was miserable. Outside, you'd never know it. I got my ducks in. But inside, I was a miserable person and a miserable husband and a miserable father. Come home. She said, honey, how'd you do? And I said, I'm free. I didn't anticipate saying that no more. I said, I'm free. I can count on one hand the number of times I've swore in the last 40-some years. It, it, that's the only, Jer some of you <clears throat> in your Christian life will never have a Jericho. That was my seven times around the walls, and that baby fell. 
I, don't, I can't explain it to you. I, I wish all of them went down that easy. Somebody say amen to that. You don't understand what I'm saying? I wish pornography would have been seven days and down. I wish anger would have been seven days and down. I wish some of the junk that's been in my life would just, just do her for a week and she's gone. It was eight and a half years for pornography. I hated it. And yet it held me. Anger. I had the ability to take a misdemeanor and turn it into a capital offense in a millisecond. None of you have a clue what I'm talking about, do you? What a journey. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Are you ready for the sermon yet? Have <laughs> I set the stage enough to know? We need to hear, okay, what do you do? I'm going to give you a decade of my life. <clears throat> I had no idea when I committed my life to Christ I would end up in a pulpit. <laughs> no idea. So, in 1979, I committed my life to Christ September 8th, 1978. Big day for this boy. In 1979, I am now starting to attend church regularly. All the troopers I'm working with have noticed he don't swear. Okay? I quit swearing, and I had a burden now to witness to my partner. And I witnessed to him, as all you got to do is share your faith with one guy, and in a day, everybody in the post will know you got religion. Did any of you follow that? By the way, that's good for us. The world will help you live like we're supposed to live. Would you agree? And every time you screw up, they'll say, and you call yourself a Christian. You say, I got some changes I got to make. How do you know he ain't going to change? Say amen to that. I'm the one that needs to change. So, going to church. The pastor's sermons improved. How do you know they didn't change a bit? The receiver changed. Say amen now. You know, you're going to change the preacher. He's preaching the word. We need to hear with spiritual ears. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. And all of a sudden, I was hearing. And I moved from the back row to about the middle row. And pretty soon, I, the best places, they're in the spit zone, right up here in the front. Now, moving right along. I heard a sermon on, read till you burn. By the way, never, never underestimate the power of one sermon to change the course of your life. This, this is a game changer for me. This is a life changer. Read till you burn. The, the guy... It was a terrible sermon. He cleared his throat. He, I couldn't hardly get half the words he was saying, but it was a one-point sermon, two on the road to Emmaus, and they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the word? And he said, you ought to read your Bible every day. You ought to get in the habit of it every day. And he took scriptures, Deuteronomy, and when the king sets upon his throne, he's supposed to write himself a copy of the words of this book and read them daily, lest his heart be lifted up with pride and he, not know, and he know not how to rule my people. Just be in the Word. Just read it. Just read it. I flunked the fifth grade because I couldn't read. Reading was a challenge for me. I didn't learn how to read until second semester junior year of college. Took a speed reading course, organized. I can read. I'm a prolific reader now. I love to read. I read books. I love to read. When I started reading my Bible, it was a challenge. I knew I should. But it's a doing thing. Can you go to heaven and not read your Bible? Oh, come on. God stand before how many days a week did you read? How do you know that ain't gonna happen? It's not we're not judged on how many times we read our Bibles through. But you need to read if you're a follower of Jesus to bear evidence of your faith, not as a foundation, not as a basis, but because of. 
if his word, he speaks to me, if God had something to say to me, who wouldn't want to hear it? People say, oh, I want to hear God's voice. People say, I say, read your Bible. Oh, no, no, I want to hear it. I want to hear his voice. I said, read it out loud. <laughs> Just read his word out loud. It's, it's him, God. This is, do you believe God's word is God speaking to us? Yeah. There isn't a thing you and I will ever face in life. Listen, you say, Tom, do you have all the answers? I don't have all the answers, but I know who does and where he keeps them. You got a question on something? It's in here. All that we need for life and God. He has provided everything I need for life and godliness. Now, so I made a commitment to start reading my Bible through. I wanted to read my Bible. <clears throat> wow. Uh, the habit is what I needed, the habit. I looked at the time, and we got to really shift into overdrive. Um, I needed help. The Holy Spirit said, I am your helper. If I forgot to read, the Lord would, I think, purposefully let me lay down in bed. I've lived way too hurried of a life. And when I lay down in bed, I don't want to get up again. I just want to lay down. As soon as I lay down, the Holy Spirit would say, did you read today, Tom? I said, why couldn't you tell me that before I lay down? I'd get out of bed, I've done this, I don't know how many times, feet on the floor, get my Bible, read 12 verses, because 12 is my lucky number. I read 12 verses. Isn't that, a, isn't that a spiritual reason? You're going to read 12 verses so I can say, I did it. <laughs> if you were to ask me what I had read, 10 minutes, five, two minutes later, I probably couldn't have told you. I was trying to develop a habit. There was a good habit to replace a bad habit of never looking into God's holy word where the light is commanded to shine into our hearts. Today, I cannot imagine a day going by without reading God's Word. Nineteen eighty, sitting in a church. I'm still a cop. <clears throat> Preacher preaches. His name is Jack Wirtz, and he was an old man, about my age now. <laughs> and he preached. In fact, he wasn't as old as I am now. And he preached a sermon on hiding God's word in your heart, about scripture memory. He never opened his Bible. I bet he used a hundred verses in the, that sermon. I had moved to the edge of my pew and sat there riveted, and when he closed the sermon, I realized what my physical posture was, and I slid back next to Joyce, and I whispered in her ear and said, that's the most powerful sermon I have ever heard in my life. I am going to start to memorize scripture. You see, I heard something, and it's not the hearing that changes our lives. It's what Dan has been preaching, or Chuck's been preaching about. Do something with what we hear. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. I'll show you two men. One built his house upon the rock. The other one built his house upon the sand. The difference is somebody did something with what they heard. Whosoever heareth these saith, um, sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll show you unto whom he is like. See, this is something we need to do and be inspired. I'm going to do something. Choose one thing and do it. Scripture memory. I tried memorizing Scripture for six months. I enlisted in programs. I bought that little loaf of bread that has the little verses on it. It failed. I mean, I would work on Scripture and come running downstairs and say to my wife, see if I can say this verse. What's the first word? 
I can tell you right now, I could quote Scripture if I would have not said anything of preaching this morning and took off and just quoting Scripture. I could quote to you books. Who would have ever dreamed? By the way, you say, well, I have to memorize it. No, people, my poor wife cannot memorize Scripture to save her neck. If I start a verse, she can finish them. She knows the Scriptures, but she cannot do it. You do not need to have a lot of Scriptures memorized. You need to have a few and know them well. Just, just have half a dozen, ten. By the way, you start getting a half a dozen or ten, for many of you, hang on. I would have never dreamed. I would have never dreamed I could memorize the Scripture I've memorized. I have a photographic memory now. I did not have it when I started this. I can look at a text, look it over, and I've got it and take off with it. That's not fair. Say amen. Surely some of you will say amen to that. But it didn't come easy. Do something. You never know where God will take. A little commitment here and begin to build upon it. A year. Just take one goal. See, I'm sharing with you. I learned this in 19. Choose one thing, one thing a year, and say, I'm going to do something with that. Now, let me get 1981. I heard a sermon on prayer. Oh, my goodness. I thought, that's right. Christians are supposed to pray. <laughs> I'm growing in grace, but I just have no prayer. No prayer life. If I got in a jam, I knew how to pray. Any of you know those kind of prayers? Flare prayers. <laughs> oh, help, I'll change. He'd help. You wouldn't change. I mean, <laughs> poor, pitiful prayer. So, I wrote down at the end of 1981, failed. I didn't pray anymore in 1981 than I did in 1980. Why do you share that? Because it's part of the journey. Nobody is going to come out of the gate and bat a thousand. Say amen. You shoot at something, you make it. You know what? If half of what I'm shooting at, I hit this year. That's a good year. And there's you, you, you flat out fail. 1982, study my Bible one day a week. I had been given a junior high Sunday school class. <laughs> and it's all they wanted to hear me do was tell cop stories. Those little kids didn't care nothing about anything. And so I didn't know much more, so I told them cop stories. <laughs> but I knew eventually I have to have something to share to these kids. And so I began to study my Bible. I have a clue how. My sister got me a, a Strong's Concordance. Uh, pastor gave me a pictorial Bible dictionary. And I got a commentary and a study Bible. And I began to study things. And when I began to, in my Christian life, I've been walking like this. When I began to study, I took one of these. I began to walk. You know what happened? I, if somebody were to ask me in 1982, do you believe in the virgin birth? I would have said, yes, of course I do, because I heard that's what we're supposed to believe in, the virgin birth. But I could not have defended it or told you why I believe in the virgin birth. The first thing God revealed to me through my personal study was the significance of the virgin birth. I have a sermon I'm going to be putting on my YouTube channel, and it's called, <laughs> If You Could Imitate the Life of Jesus Christ perfectly would it be sufficient to get you to heaven and I left him I'm, I'm gonna leave with that question and answer it the next week you ask you ask yourself if you could imitate the life of Jesus Christ perfectly would that be sufficient to get you to heaven you know you say no you're right no why how many of you know that everybody in this room and outside of this room has a congenital defect that's terminal? Do you know what it is? The difference in the birth of Jesus and the birth of Tom. 
David said in Psalm 51, 5, I was shaped, behold, he says, take a look at this. I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I came forth from the womb, cursing and lying. Jesus didn't. His father was God Almighty and that seed was the one that God preserved from Eve, the woman's seed. See, the woman's seed is holy. The woman's as sinful, she's as sinful as the man. But every woman houses and every 30 days that seed dies and sheds innocent blood. A picture of the blood of Jesus Christ who will be innocently shed someday for the sins of the world. And I got it. Can you imagine being a cop and wanting to talk to your partner about the importance of the virgin birth? <laughs> I was so excited about it. And they kind of, you know. <laughs> Is it possible that God Almighty, the Holy Spirit of God, fully God, totally, listen, fully God, that dwells in me, the author of the book and the interpreter, that he would reveal divine truth to a vessel of clay like me. If you, know, if you know God and are willing to study his word, when he begins to reveal truth to you, you will live off that law. It will do more to change your life than any sermon you'll ever hear. But you've got to study. I don't know how. Learn. It's amazing how we've given ourselves to learn things. Gotta get going. I wish you people would listen a little faster, please. I want to get through 89. Here we go. 1983, love people. I was a cop. By that time, I had 10 years in. I joined the department in 73. It's now 1983. The first five and a half years, I've been living for me and for the devil. Now I commit my life to Christ, and things are changing. Do you know what happens to police officers in 10 years? They get their 10-year in. There's a tendency to become cynical, hardened, because you see things that you don't want to see, and you hear things you don't want to hear, so you cauterize emotions, and you, you just learn to say, this is a job. They tell you, don't get personally involved. And you know what? We don't. It's hard to. And you see little children that have been molested. You have to take their tape statements. It's hard not to be hard. And I realized in 1983... How do you know this book is filled with admonitions to love people? Say amen to that. As yourself. I've not had much problem loving me, but loving us. I didn't even like people, let alone love them. He says, love them. That was the year God called me to preach. Big year. 1984, trust God. You know what I'm going to do in 1984? I'm going to write out my resignation. God has called me to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Resignation effective 30 days from the day he called me to preach. I wrote it out. Six months later, I handed it to my boss. We were downstairs. I was getting my uniform on. He was getting his off, getting ready to go home. I handed the lieutenant. He said, Harmon, I knew you got religion, but have you gone nuts? <laughs> he said, just stay another four years. You'll get your full retirement. You'll get, you know, your medical and optical, all the benefits. Just stay another four years. And God said, don't you dare. I've called. If God calls you to preach, don't you stoop to be a king. See, I didn't know those things then. You realize what a high and holy calling it is? What God is allowing me to do this morning, preaching the word. <laughs> Wish I had more time on these. I resigned my job. Trust God. 
You don't know where I was coming from. I knew every dime in my pocket, every dollar in my wallet, I had it organized. My ones, my fives, my tens, and twenties. I worked all the overtime I could. Money, money, money. I said, quit your job. With four kids at home, are you nuts? Unsaved relatives? Oh, we're so proud of you, Tom. <laughs> How do you think there was a little heat during that time? How do you know the heat has a way of bringing the dross off? Who are you going to trust, Tom? Who are you going to trust in this? It's so easy to say we trust him here, but it's hard to say we trust him out there. 1985, get a grip on the gospel. <laughs> you know what happened in 1985? No, excuse me. Most of these things are a goal that year. They don't become a re reality until the year after. It takes you a year trying to get a grip on the gospel. You know what happened in 1986? The gospel got a grip on me and has never let me go. I'd rather preach the gospel. I just, when I want to get happy, I just preach the gospel to myself. Just, oh, whoo! God, what a, what a message you have delivered. Just preach the gospel. 1986, start journaling. Start keeping a journal. Because I was reading biographies by this time. And I saw in, saw in the lives of so many of the saints of old, they kept a journal. I said, I'm going to start journaling. Little did I know that that was going to be a part. I journaled every day for 11 years. I got my journals. I still journal. I journal today, but I don't journal like I used to then. Little did I know that in 20 years, those journaling days would be preparing me to write my first book. Never had a clue. If somebody had told me you're going to write a book or seven books, I'd say, you, are you kidding me? You see, what you do in today, you have no idea. We don't have a clue the magnitude of how it affects our tomorrows if our todays are committed to something with him. Just something today. Just something today. You get saved in a day. Your whole direction changes one day. Now, team come while I finish this. <clears throat> 1987, I made a commitment to pray. I knew I wasn't praying. I read all of Ian Bounds' books on prayer, Andrew Murray's. I don't know how many books I read on prayer. I built a prayer room in our basement, and our kids wrote down verses for me to memorize on prayer, but I still didn't pray. Prayer is not a recital between you and the ceiling. It's contact with deity. It's coming into the presence of Almighty God, and I knew I didn't pray. Praying in the Spirit, nothing. I didn't have a clue. I failed. Now, I got two years. It took me 10 years to learn to pray in this journey, 10 years. Is it worth it? You know, my first response is going to be to thanks. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's go to the throne. 1988, because I failed in 1987 to pray anymore, I said, God, I need to make that my goal again. 1988 was the toughest year of my life. I wouldn't want to repeat 1988 for all the tea in China. I was defeated, discouraged, depressed, disoriented. Christian! Most all of 1988. My journal that year is, woe is me, gloom and doom. You want to get depressed? Read my 1988 journal. You say, this guy can't be saved. I was as saved then as I am now. Oh. You know what 1988 did for me? I wouldn't want to repeat it. But that year seasoned me 
to do the next 31. I resigned the pastorate, and on the outside, everything was looking good. Church is full, people getting saved, baptized, blah, blah, blah. And I was miserable. My wife was not on board, and I said, I, I've done things without her being on board. It ain't worth it. I've learned. Listen to the warnings of your wife. God uses you, wife, man. And he uses you men in her life as well. And I said, I won't quit. And she finally said, I'm with you. I wrote my resignation out that Sunday and was gone. Um, you want to sing while I finish this? And we'll try to double duty, right? <laughs> 1989, uh, I read a book by Watchman Nee. Any of you know about the Chinaman? About the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit wasn't yet really on the radar for me. And my goal was to walk in the Spirit. It was that year that I told God, I'll go where you want me to go, I'll do what you want me to do, I'll be who you want me to be, and I'll say who you want me to be. God, help me. That was my prayer. He began to open up opportunities go places and preach. For the next 31 years, we would be an itinerant preacher. Well, let me see if I can say this verse now, and it might have a little bit of sense to it that it didn't have at first. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. This is the Apostle Paul, penner of holy writ, said, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. How of you know he would like to forget the stoning of Stephen? Come on. How of you know he'd like to forget some of the things he did, getting angry at Mark and saying, you ain't going with us. Later on to say, sending he's profitable. The old boy's grown in grace in his journey. The apostle Paul would have been a hard man to minister with. I'm going to tell you that. There was a lot of him still in him. He said, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Some people say, oh, that was his pre-Christ experience. That was his present tense as he pens Scripture. He knew there was nothing in him that was any good. Well, there's a great place to come when you come to that. Because the temptation is to trust in ourselves and not in God who raises the dead. Now, this one thing I do, let me pray, you'll sing, and then hurry out of here. Okay, we're over time. Lord, help us. Anybody want a piece of this prayer? Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Oh, God, you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And none of us make it through this life without trouble. Nobody does. Paul said we're troubled on every side. We got trouble, and we need help. Moses, in his psalm, 90 said, the days of man's years are three score and ten by reason of strength, four score. Yet the span, whether 70 or 80 or 90, is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone. We fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Oh God, help us to spend our days seeking to live for you, to build upon the faith, the foundation of Christ and not our works. God, we're not build on. We don't want our works to be the foundation. We want Christ, our Savior, and the evidence of it to us and to others. Give us diligence, God. May we not be negligent. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. 
again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.